0: A big theme in my thought process, as well as episodes recently, has been fluid living. (laughs) That word fluid has really been resonating with me because it feels like it gives me permission to shift and change and evolve and experience highs and lows. And isn't that the human experience, really? It's interesting that being fluid, in at least in my brain, seems like it's going against the norm or against the tide. It feels like it's the opposite of what a lot of us are encouraged or instructed to do, which is to follow the rules, follow the path, stay in line, be consistent. And certainly, it's fairly socially acceptable to color outside the lines. There is resistance there. But I feel like in the United States, at least, that there's enough people coloring outside the lines that it's not a huge surprise. It's also a big generational thing, it seems. Actually, I'm going to pause there for a second. Isn't it, is it a generational thing? Or is it that younger... People always view people that are older than them as being more strict and rigid... You know, for me, I think of as a millennial, I think of Gen X and baby boomers as being more rigid, not being as flexible. And I think of millennials and Gen Z and younger as being more open minded and fluid. But thinking back to when Gen X or even baby boomers were younger, maybe they thought the same thing about older generations. I also find a lot of these boxes that we put different generations into kind of categorizing them, making assumptions about who somebody is just based on their age range is a little weird in and of itself. So let's kind of put that aside. (laughs) What I mean by fluid seeming to go against the grain is that it feels to me that it's more socially acceptable to follow the path that most people are following and to do your best not to disturb structure. And over time, I'm recognizing more and more how It seems odd to me that going against the grain, doing things differently is seen as disturbing, is seen as socially unacceptable. And here are some examples. One is that I just got through responding to a batch of emails. I had hired an assistant for the first time in years. I've worked with a few assistants over my career and had a big gap during COVID of not working with anyone. And then finally realized that I could really benefit from the support of somebody who can help me respond to emails. I struggle deeply with that. And it's kind of a source of shame or embarrassment or guilt. Some of those emotions come up for me, especially when it comes to not responding to what I perceive as being quick. I have a tendency to let things sit in my inbox for weeks, months, sometimes even years, to be honest. And there's this kind of cultural pressure that I feel that you should respond fast. Now, I do respond quickly to emails that I perceive to be urgent, but the great majority of emails I receive are not urgent. They are somebody else asking something of me that I'm either not ready to do, not ready to decide upon. Or I've got a lot going on in my plate. What's also interesting, especially as I explore my neurodivergence, is noticing that a lot of people seem to struggle with this type of communication, neurodivergent or not, but it definitely seems to be one of the major experiences of people who are neurodivergent, by which I mean fall on the ADHD autism spectrums or or otherwise in the neurodivergent categories, that communication is tricky. It also is common for people pleasers, perhaps even for introverts. Although the more I learn about neurodivergence, the more I think, hmm, am I a people pleaser or am I just somebody who's trying to mask and cope and hide the fact that my brain works differently? Am I an introvert or am I just neurodivergent? Those are Things that I'm trying to explore, and also trying not to put myself in those categories and limit myself to things just because I identify as something, if that makes sense. But let's use this term, people pleasing, in the context of wanting to feel accepted and validated, not wanting to quote rock the boat, not wanting to upset people. I feel deeply uncomfortable with the possibility of offending somebody, letting someone down, disappointing someone, confusing someone, etc. and I know that that isn't in my control and that's part of what I've been thinking about a lot but even right before I started recording this episode this inspiration to talk about how many of us aim to please through communication, at least it seems so. And again, I I don't want to generalize because I can only speak on my personal experience. I feel so much pressure to respond. Text messages are especially challenging. Right now, I have this message from a particular person in my life that I haven't responded to. Actually, a couple people now that I think about it. And one of these people had messaged me on two different platforms And this person seems to be someone who likes to share a lot and talk a lot. I do too. I go through those phases where I could just talk and talk and talk. Obviously, having a podcast, I can talk a ton. But this fluidity I'm talking about in terms of communication is I go through periods where I have so much energy for communication and other times where I have almost zero energy. And that's constantly shifting. And when I'm thinking about this fluidity, I find myself wanting to start by indres- addressing internally my need for fluidity and then find ways to communicate that to others. So I haven't quite figured out how to confidently express this because it doesn't feel so socially accepted to be fluid in my head, I believe that other people see me as being a poor communicator because of how long it takes me to respond. Maybe they feel like I'm being rude. And that's interesting too, to remind ourselves that we're projecting our own beliefs and feelings and experiences onto other people. So I don't even know for sure how people feel if I don't respond to them quickly, right? Maybe they don't get offended. Maybe it doesn't matter to them. That's where human communication can feel so tricky because everybody is going about life with different perspectives, different feelings. Everything is so relative. And we have to remember that different things trigger people at different times. Yesterday, I was in my Beyond Measure group. One of the members was sharing how they were very triggered by something very minor, and they felt a little embarrassed to be so triggered by it. And they shared to the group saying, I know this isn't a big deal, but it really triggered me. And the whole group responded like, hey, we get it. We've been there. It's all relative. All feelings are valid. And I think that was really helpful for this person, but it was also interesting to witness how they... We're afraid of being judged for their reactions. And it's also interesting how small things can really bother us. So something that might not bother somebody else may really bother another person. I feel very sensitive and aware of that. I feel like I'm constantly monitoring myself and trying to figure out how other people are experiencing things. And something I've also reflected on is given that I believe I fall on the autism spectrum. And for those that haven't listened to episodes where I've talked about this, you know, I'm on this journey to figure it out. But I'm currently identifying as somebody on the autism spectrum because I have so many of the traits of that. And one big thing that I don't experience to my knowledge is I feel hyper well, let me put it this way a lot of people who have autism have trouble reading other People like they can't read their, their signals, their social signals, they misinterpret things, and they also tend to take things as matter of fact, point blank, or what's the term like, literal. I don't know if I am like that, but I'm trying to notice it more. Like, where do I have misunderstandings with people? I need a lot of information, I need the time to process. So, perhaps that's my version of that mental experience where i don't know if it's a learning challenge i don't want to use the word disability but i'm someone that simultaneously can comprehend things on a very high level and other things i have to be have it be explained from different in different ways in order for me to understand it And I've been embarrassed about that. So that's part of my masking for sure. I felt so much shame around that type of communication because when I don't understand something, I'm afraid in some cases to tell people that because I don't want to be perceived as dumb. For me, I really value intelligence. I want people to think that I'm smart. I know that I'm smart and not from like an ego standpoint, but I just know it. But because of the way my brain processes things, sometimes I don't fully understand what's being shared with me. And that's interesting to think about in social contexts, right? Where the people pleaser wants to not make somebody inconvenienced by having to over-explain something, right? I'm also a huge, clear communicator, where (laughs) that kind of came out weird, but like I'm a big advocate for clear communication. And part of the way my brain works, it's super organized. So in my emails and my text messages, I'm always thinking about how do I word this so that this person understands me? Because a huge fear of mine is being misunderstood. Something makes me extremely uncomfortable when I'm not understood and so this is probably why communication feels so tough at times. If I don't have a ton of energy, it's really hard for me to communicate because every communication that comes out of me is loaded with thoughts of like, okay, how do I word this? So that This person understands me. Which words do I use? How long is this? Then I usually edit things down because I'm afraid that it's too lengthy, I'm very used to people being short with me. It's actually pretty rare that somebody acknowledges everything I say, repeats it back to me, thanks me for it. That I thrive on. Like, that's where I feel super validated when someone says, I hear you. This is what I heard. This is what I'm reiterating back to you, right? that feels great. But that also takes a lot of energy. So this has contributed to me struggling to respond to emails and text messages and other messages because every single one I read with so much intention. I usually reread emails a few times to make sure that I fully understood them. I really take them in. I process what I want to say. And then I take the time to usually compose a very thoughtful response. And so... I generally have the time to do that because it's not super time consuming, but it's very energy intensive for me to share that. And that's fascinating, right? Because I've noticed that a lot of people don't have that experience. When I share this with most people, and again, this is where like the neurotypical versus neurodiversity comes in, it seems like neurotypical people. Communicate vastly different than me. And they don't think that much, or their brains just process it. And they're just like, okay, you know, they just communicate really fast. I'm a very slow communicator. And maybe like it's not slowness, it's intention. But going back to this fluidity, there are times where my brain seems to operate faster than others. And I think that's an energetic bandwidth thing where I go through. Moments throughout the whole day, it's like this little wave. If you're if you're not watching the YouTube video, I'm I'm using my hand like a little wave, of, as if you were sticking out the window of a car. You know when you're going really fast driving, and you can put your hand down and it feels like your your hand is riding a wave. Such a great sensation <laughs> for me, at least. Uh, that's the motion I'm doing right now, and how I feel throughout the day. It's like pulsing too. Like, there's moments of me having a ton of energy, and it could be like a few minutes later, and I feel like my energy zapped. So, I have to be really mindful of where I put that energy because I also have this fear of low energy. And that's interesting too, because is that fear just socially conditioned? Have I associated low energy with not being good? It reminds me of Celeste Headley, who was a guest on the show. I absolutely adore her. She is an incredible author. And in her book, Do Nothing, she talks about how productivity culturally, as well as I believe religiously and historically, all on the same lines, was perceived as good, as in like religiously good. I think it goes back to like either the Christian or Catholic way of living where it was associated with you are a good person if you are productive, if you got get a lot of work done, and you're a bad person or not as good if you are less productive, if you're lazy. I think it was the laziness that she talks about. And it's towards the beginning of her book. It is such a fantastic read. That book actually shaped a lot of these thoughts that I'm sharing with you right now. Because when I realized my own perceptions and even perhaps addictions to efficiency, as she puts it, I started to reflect on how much of that actually resonates with me versus how much of that is just me trying to fit in and be socially acceptable because I have that deep fear of being rejected, that deep fear of not pleasing people. So it's constantly like, what can I do to make other people happy? But that keyword make is so important because I don't have control over how somebody perceives me. I don't have control over how somebody feels. And given what I said about each of us viewing life through such completely different lenses and everything being so relative. And the fact that as human beings, life is so fluid, timing is so big. So if I know that experience of having high and low energy pulsating throughout my day, other people must be experiencing their own version of that. Maybe they don't even realize it. It could also be good and bad moods and feelings fluctuating. Speaking of feelings... Yesterday in the Beyond Measure call, it's centered around self-care. So for those of you who don't know about Beyond Measure, it's a private community I developed about two years ago. And we have group meetings and calls. uh, Well, they're all the same thing, but the meetings slash calls slash events are all centered around a theme. And yesterday's call theme was on self-care. And I started off the call sharing something called a feelings wheel, (laughs) which I had stumbled upon, was very curious of. I'm going to link to this in the show notes of this episode. So if you want to see the link to books, you want to read the transcript, you want to see the video when it comes out, that's all over in the show notes at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com in the podcast show notes section. You can find this episode and everything associated with it. And the feelings wheel, as I'll link to, is literally a wheel, a colorful wheel that has feelings written inside of it. And it's neat because it has kind of three sections. If it were a pyramid, it'd be like three tiers. And the middle section has, I think, seven common feelings like anger and happiness and five others. And then each of those feelings branches out It expands out to the second tier or second circle, which has other levels of those feelings. And then there's a third tier or or wheel or or circle within one wheel that has other emotions. So you can start in the center and identify your core feeling and then branch out to other feelings or do the opposite where you identify a feeling on the outer circle and kind of go inwards to see what's really at the core of those emotions. And it was such an interesting exercise to do as a group with the Beyond Measure members, because each of us had an opportunity to reflect on what we were feeling in that moment and what we were feeling at the end of the call after discussing it. And each person was kind of noticing kind of hidden feelings. And... When we recognize that as human beings, we're so complex and our feelings are sometimes hard to identify, our feelings are constantly fluctuating, all sorts of things can impact them. Our feelings and our mood could be shifting from second to second. Even our brain, I forget how statistically how many thoughts we have in just a matter, a short amount of time is, is outstanding. Let me see if I can quickly look this up. How many thoughts does the brain have? (laughs) That's the search term that I use. Okay. Um, Let's see here. Well, I'm seeing like 50,000, 70,000 thoughts per day are some of the numbers that are coming up. The average brain has up to 50,000 daily thoughts. That's one statistic, although I also saw one that's like myth busting. So who knows? But let's just say approximately. That's crazy, right? And how many minutes are there a day? Is there like a thousand minutes per day? I feel like it's a thousand something. Okay. Yeah. 1,440 minutes a day. So if we, how do we do that math? 50,000 divided by 1,440, would that be right? This is my brain gets very confused when I'm doing division like this. So there's that 34 times 1440. Okay, that's right. So, so let's just say we have about four, 34 thoughts per minute in my quick math without double checking it. That sounds about right. 34 thoughts per minute, which would mean a thought every two seconds, a new thought every two seconds please tell me I'm doing the math right here. (laughs) Math is actually a strong suit of mine in school. I really like math. It just felt so straightforward, but my brain also had trouble and would confuse things, almost a little bit of dyslexia, which is pretty common for someone who's neurodivergent as well. I was never diagnosed with dyslexia, but there are elements that I believe to be Kind of like dyslexia, where I'll like confuse things and not know which comes before the other. Like the order of things is confusing to me and also something I have shame around. So wouldn't it be interesting if so, perhaps a lot of this comes out of my personal interest for how the brain works, right? And I I think that socially we're not that encouraged to think about psychology and brain. I was going to say brain health, but like how our brains work, you know, we, we're kind of encouraged to just like learn certain things and just kind of behave in the way that we've learned, if that makes sense. And it's kind of creepy for me, like when I think back into when we're little and and we're shamed for certain behavior, we're punished for certain behavior and I think it's out of a genuine desire to help us as kids understand like what's okay versus what isn't. But in a lot of ways, many of us internalize that and start to feel all this guilt and shame and we see ourselves as bad, you know, like that has really long repercussions for us. And if we don't develop the emotional intelligence, awareness, and even knowledge about psychology and the way the brain works, like we go about life almost seeing things as very binary, black and white, like this is the right way versus this is the wrong way. And so this all ties into that lack of fluidity and this challenge with communication. One thing that got me thinking about this today too is I saw a TikTok from somebody I know who clearly had some sort of a bad experience with a friend because their post was about how hurt they were about being ghosted by a friend. And their caption kind of came across as judgmental in which they were basically saying, if, if a friend ghosts you, that says more about them than you. And absolutely could agree. But this hit me on a personal level, because I've been on the receiving end of friends ghosting me. And I've also ghosted friends. In fact, Jason and I did an episode about ghosting a long time ago. I'll link to that in the show notes if you want to hear our thoughts. I can't remember if we recorded that before or after I had done some ghosting, which I definitely feel some guilt around. That was a nuanced experience for me because I'm generally, like I said, a very thoughtful, mindful communicator. But when I feel unable to clearly communicate with another human being, when I'm afraid that they're not going to accept my communication, and most importantly, when there feels like a lack of psychological safety, I really struggle to communicate. And that's generally where I'll go quiet, We're all probably ghosts in the the worst case scenario. With this particular person it happened about two years ago, and I was a complete mess when I realized I needed to end that relationship. I literally was crying for days. I mean, I'm not going to get into the specifics, but wow, was that hard. I mean, I just thought over and over, like, how do I do this? I think I might have even like written out or verbally spoke out privately to myself like all the different things I could say and the different outcomes there could be and none of them felt right. My psychological safety was not there with this person, so I could not logically or even emotionally come up with a way to communicate effectively with them. So I just decided to ghost them and I have so much like guilt that I hold almost 2 years later this person reached out to me a few times. But every time they reached out to me, they didn't even provide an opportunity for me to start a dialogue. Again, without getting into the dynamics of this relationship, there was never, hey, are you okay? So they never asked why I had stopped responding. They never asked how I what they never asked for any context, they reached out with like, the shortest little snippets that to me did not give me the opportunity to have an in-depth dialogue together. So I didn't have that psychological safety. And so this is what I was thinking about when I saw the TikTok earlier. I thought, well, yes, it hurts because I've been ghosted. I've had a few friends that just stopped talking to me. One in particular was about six years ago, and I still mourn that relationship. It was so hard. I really wish that we could have worked through it, talked through it, or at least had closure. Never got it. This person just cut me out of their life, never heard from them again. And that was painful. That experience that I had ghosting someone two years ago, though, did give me perspective. And I've had a few other experiences that have given me perspective about sometimes a relationship is just over. There's nothing else to discuss Certainly, it sounds great to have a whole dialogue, but having a deep discussion to end a relationship is really hard. And if you don't have that psychological safety there, it's deeply challenging because it can bring up so much pain. You might want to avoid anger. You might not want to fight with somebody. You might feel like a a dialogue isn't going to help. And so maybe it feels best for both of you to just not talk anymore. It's nuanced. And I think that's what I took away too from that TikTok is we have to remember that our views on communication with somebody else are vastly different from how they're viewing it. There's, in my opinion right now, no way for us to know fully how that other person is feeling, what they're thinking, and we certainly don't have control over it. So what we do have control over is our reactions and what we can do is say, this hurt me, this feels uncomfortable, this is unpleasant, but I can work on handling that, healing that, processing that without, I guess, basically doing our best not to judge that other person. And what I mean by judge is that certainly we can think about, maybe assume what that other person is thinking or feeling, but Judging it in the sense if we can do our best to not place any moral judgment on that other person, which goes back to this right or wrong, good or bad. I think that binary thinking of like, what that person did to me is wrong. What that person did to me is bad. They should have done it this way. Should is another word that's been discussed in many episodes of this show. The shoulding type of judgments is really interesting the more i've learned about it because who are we to say what way is a, the best or right way to communicate with somebody if we don't know how that person's brain works like why are who are we to impose the way our brain works on somebody else's brain and this is something i've really learned about neurodivergence i'm, I'm actually so grateful to at least assume that I'm neurodivergent based on my research, because it just opened up my eyes to, wow, I think differently than other people. And if I think differently, then that means that they think differently than me. So how could I impose any thoughts or feelings onto somebody else? I can't assume anything about that person. What I can do is accept. What I can do is do my best to communicate. And I think that also circles back to my desire for good communication. Another example that's recent for me is yesterday, I had a meeting scheduled with two people. And this meeting was initially supposed to happen the week before. And one of the people in that meeting canceled and said, can we push back and reschedule? And I said, yes, we'll schedule it for this day and this time. I'm a big advocate for calendar. So I sent them a calendar invite that also reinforces the date and time and the location. And then it's up to them to put it on their calendar, to see the email. I understand that people's brains work differently. This is something else when it comes to scheduling meetings. I've really had to work on. <laughs> is that some people do not manage their calendars well. In fact, a lot of people are very disorganized when it comes to their calendars. There are people that are forgetful. There are people that are late. There are people that don't check their emails or their calendar invites. Like they just don't see it. And I have to come to terms with that. But that's not my responsibility for them to see it. It's not my responsibility for them to be on time. It's not my responsibility for them to act in a way that I perceive as respectful, right? So yesterday, I showed up at the meeting on time, all prepared, and neither of the people showed up. And time went on and I thought, okay, I'll give them five minutes. Five minutes goes by, no, no message, no email. This person, one of the people in the meeting has my email address, my number, as well as we communicate on Instagram DM. Now, my brain typically does not think about Instagram very much these days. I mostly communicate professionally, especially career work-related stuff through email and text. Text is very secondary. It's mostly through email. No emails come through. No explanation as to why these people didn't show up. No apologies, nothing. I thought, okay, interesting. Now, in the past, that would have deeply angered me. I would have felt so disrespected. But... Based on a lot of things I've shared today and also a lot of personal experience, I've learned not to take it personally, but it is an opportunity to set some boundaries. And this this is like making my heart race a little bit just sharing about this because I feel uncomfortable because I haven't really practiced being assertive enough to the point where I feel confident. I did read a great book on this. I think it was called like The Assertiveness Workbook. I need to make a note to include this in, in the show notes because it was a really nice read. I read it probably about three years ago and it gave me some tools for being more assertive. And I think as a woman, typically, and again, not to make this a gender issue, but to acknowledge the fact, yes, it is. It's the assertiveness workbook, how to express your ideas and stand up for yourself at work and relationships. And for me, identifying as a woman, being perceived as a woman, having a lot of female feminine experiences, I've kind of internalized a lot of this patriarchy in that as a woman, or I haven't always been encouraged to stand up for myself, to speak out. I have a lot of fear around standing up for myself, that also ties into my neurodivergence where a lot of people have perceived me as weird, as controlling, as pushy, when really the the more I understand myself, I recognize like I need a lot of psychological safety. I need to feel in group dynamics that I am valued, that I am respected, that I am equal, and that people will be patient with me so that I can feel comfortable being comfortable, feeling like people that I'm with value my comfort as much as they value their own comfort is very important. That doesn't always happen. And in the past, especially when I was younger, well, I guess anything in the past means I was younger, but, but probably in college and early work experiences I felt like I wasn't valued. I didn't feel like I was equal. I felt like as a I was treated differently as a woman. I felt like I was treated differently because I was generally younger than people in the room. I I had a lot of those experiences that made me feel small and diminished and so I learned to please the other people so that I could keep my place. I learned to be a little bit quiet, not stand up for myself. I learned to reassure others ahead of reassuring myself. I learned that if I was uncomfortable, I wouldn't speak up for it. So how that ties into this experience in yesterday's meeting. I didn't see an email or a text and I just moved on with my day and then later on i noticed that i had a instagram direct message from one of the people i was supposed to meet with and i instantly felt frustrated i thought why did this person choose to send me an instagram direct message instead of emailing me that just that to me feels unprofessional does that mean that this person's unprofessional not at all in fact this person is someone i respect It's interesting, though, that their communication choice was to go to Instagram instead of email. It's interesting. I never heard from the second person that was supposed to join the meeting. But it's possible, as I mentioned, that that email, they didn't see it, that they forgot about it, that they never saw the calendar invite. And they just, it wasn't even a thought to them to join the meeting that I had scheduled for us, right? So when I think about these different experiences it helps me feel less triggered by them however this instagram dm was interesting because i had to be assertive or i cho- i should say i chose to be assertive i chose to respond to let this person know how i was feeling so that i could uh, practice being assertive it wasn't about my dynamic with this person necessarily although It was important for me to set boundaries and a little bit more context. This person had been late to meetings with me before too and never acknowledged being late. That is a big trigger for me because to me, being on time is a sign of respect and being late without advance notice or being late without acknowledging and apologizing for being late is a big professional boundary for me. It's crossing that boundary. Because for me, I value my time. I think a lot of people do. But it's a signal when somebody is late that they don't value your time as much as their own. And I think I had mentioned actually in a previous episode, I have a tendency to be late. I have a tendency to be five minutes late. That's like very common, not generally to virtual meetings. It's very rare that I'm late to virtual meetings because I don't have much of a reason to be late. But if I'm going to be late, I tell somebody on time. Like the other day, I was a few minutes late to this in-person meeting I had. And I texted them. That was our communication form. Hey, I'm here. I'm just parking my car. So I actually arrived at the location on time, but it took me some a few minutes to park and walk over to where we were meeting. So I communicated, hey, I'm parking. Hey, I'm walking over. Hey, I'm almost there. Like all along the way, that makes me feel comfortable. And that's my way of showing respect. Although generally, the in my opinion, the, the best way to show respect is to communicate or is to be on time. <laughs> so you don't even have to communicate that you're late. Right? And that kind of ties into this whole original topic about responding to people, what I struggle with, and I haven't fully developed in my communication journey, is I would like to develop a system in which I respond to people quicker simply to let them know I need more time to respond. The reason I haven't done that is I feel a little bit embarrassed. I feel like people are going to judge me and be like, well, she had time to send me this email or this text. Why doesn't she have time to Respond to the rest of my message, right? But again, that's not up to me to control. It all comes down to where do I feel comfortable in my communication style? How am I showing up as my best? And also forgiving and allowing myself to be that fluid person in which I go through those moments of being able to respond quicker than other times and not get caught up in the shame and the guilt. Of my delayed response. This is the reason that I work with an assistant now. In fact, right before I started recording this, we had a virtual session in which she held me accountable. We went through every single email, we responded to them, we created a new system for it. Like she is supporting me with that so that I can feel like I'm being more professional and get back to people in a more timely manner, that I have somebody else to help me when I'm overthinking my responses. Now, one thing I want to go back to is this Instagram exchange with this person because I just saw, I'm going to read in real time. (laughs) I, I don't know if I'll read out loud, but I'm going to read in this moment. The person said to me, I think like, yeah, we were, they didn't write me until I, it looks like an hour and maybe a half after our meeting time which is also to me like way later. If you're going to like, this is a form of ghosting, not showing up to something. If you're going to cancel, like to me, if you don't show up and you don't communicate anything to somebody, like that's where I knew I needed to step up and be assertive. So they wrote me a very quick line, like, I'm sorry we didn't connect. <laughs> not I'm sorry I didn't make it. I'm sorry that I didn't show up on time. It was, I'm sorry we didn't connect, which was not taking account of personal responsibility for their role in this. And I felt nervous about sharing and setting a boundary because I wondered if it would rock the boat. Would I come across as rude? Which is kind of strange, right? I felt like this person was being rude and disrespectful of me. And yet I also felt fear of being perceived as rude or as women are sometimes referred to as, quote, a bitch or a Karen or all these negative connotations that assertive women get. Now, the Karen thing is a whole nother subject matter. But there's these cultural fears of like, when you're assertive, when you're sharing your feelings, when you're setting boundaries, that fear of is this person going to perceive something wrong with me, even though I'm setting a boundary because they did something that didn't make me feel good? So this is what I wrote. I said, it's okay, comma. I really grappled, like, do I say it's okay? But technically it's okay because I'm not holding a grudge. That was basically what I meant by that. I said, it's okay. I just appreciate a heads up if you can't make a meeting in the future so I can adjust my plans. I'm a stickler to my calendar and I waited for a bit to see if you would join. And I don't spend a lot of time on Instagram. So just seeing your message now. So I'm trying to let this person know what my preferences are, why it is, and the fact that this communication style didn't work well for me. And now I'm reading their response. Let's see. They actually wrote a really nice response. I, I can. I, I think I, I, I try to keep privacy, so I'm. Not, you know what? I'm not going to read it out loud. But they did write response, and it said they called my feelings valid. They used that word. They said that they can relate. They explained the, how they missed it, and they apologized, which was a really nice way of structuring it. So I appreciate that, and I feel better. Right. This person took the time to acknowledge it, acknowledge my feelings, explain themselves, and to apologize for it. It kind of reminds me of like the art of crafting a really good apology is something that I would like to work on because I still feel a little confused and nervous, you know, like not sending the quote right or a good apology can really influence how somebody feels about you. But this is the thing, too, that going back to the fluidity, not only are we constantly changing as human beings, but through changing, we are learning and we are making mistakes. But even that word mistake is so tricky. Because what really is a mistake? (laughs) This is like where the nuances come in. I, I struggle to view a lot of things as a mistake because... What somebody perceives as a mistake might not be a mistake to someone else, especially the person committing the, quote, mistake. If they thought it was a mistake, would they have done it? No. So did they do their best? Probably. Did they do the best they knew how? Did they do the best that they felt in the moment? Certainly, our opinions of things can change with hindsight but does that make a mistake if in the present moment we're doing the best that we can or the best that we know how? And this is the thing this whole mistake culture and this whole repercussion and cancel culture, you know, accountability and all of that stuff. I think it's important for us to be held accountable for changing and learning. And I suppose the word mistake could just be used as an opportunity to learn. But the word like, better, for example, like to learn and be better, aren't we always getting better? Like, if the word better to me means like improving or changing, I guess we could quote get worse, but that's tricky too. I mean, this is where my brain goes. It's like everything is so relative. Everything's so nuanced. And maybe as a culture, we put these labels on things we put things into categories just because it feels easier to process but my brain does not enjoy that at all my brain sees the gray areas everywhere and does not feel comfortable in the black and white does not feel that comfortable in the categories i am a color outside the line person which sometimes mean i'm going against the grain it feels uncomfortable for me because i've been conditioned to color inside the lines and go with the grain. But as I've been learning about myself through this unmasking and the studying of neurodivergence, I'm thinking, wow, I have been doing that for others and not myself. And for me to feel deeply fulfilled, to live a life that feels satisfying and happy and honoring, I want to just embrace my full fluid self and get deeper in tune with myself. So instead of looking outward for answers and permission and acceptance, I say, does this feel good to me right now? Am I doing the best to my current abilities and knowledge? If the answer is yes, proceed. And maybe that'll actually help me become a better communicator. Maybe that'll help me be more assertive and confident because confidence comes out of attunement and balance and that inner knowing and that harmony with ourselves. And I have to unlearn all of these messages I've been told about what's right or wrong and good or bad, because those have generally been about the external. Those have generally been about what other people think. But now having this awareness that I have no idea what other people are thinking or feeling Even in this communication I just received with this person explaining why they didn't show up for the meeting, it's an honest, quote, mistake. It was an honest experience that they had that led to them doing something that did not feel in alignment with my boundaries and my version of respect, right? But I'm not going to blame this person. That's why I started off by saying it's okay because it is okay. I'm not going to hold a grudge. Now, were in a slightly different situation, maybe a different person, I perhaps would have set a boundary and decide not to communicate with that person anymore beyond that conversation. I might cont- you know, choose to remove them from my life. I've certainly done that. This person though, just they kind of go into a different context for me. Because like I said, they've been late before, they've canceled, they don't feel reliable or dependable. There's been enough experiences where I don't fully trust them to value my time, to respect my time. And now that's up to me to just change the context in which we communicate. I actually had to do this with somebody else in the past month or so who multiple times throughout the last six months had done, had similar behavior. And now I just, I'm not as close to that person. I don't have any ill will towards them. I'm just, you know, they're not a big priority. I'm not spending a lot of time and energy on this person. I'm just kind of letting that be more fluid versus in the past we had more defined dynamic together there was more like involvement in each other's lives. Now they're just kind of more on the periphery. And that's where I feel comfortable. It seems like they do too, because it seemed to be a bit mutual. And it's interesting because that experience with that other person has kind of influenced how I feel about this current situation I've been talking about, right? So everything being relative, we have to remember that how someone reacts to us may be the result of an experience they had with someone else who's not us. And this can remind us not to take things personally, Because their experience of us is like, it's actually really fascinating. (laughs) Like, wouldn't it be kind of neat to be in somebody else's head and just know how they feel about us? But we have zero way of doing that right now, unless technology advances to the point where like, we can be more connected to each other's brains. Uh, I don't even know what that would be like. Might be kind of cool. But it's all just a big reminder that it's okay to go about our lives in a way that feels good to us. It's okay to be fluid. It's okay to fluctuate and pulse. It's all okay. And for me, that feels good. I don't know about you. I would love to hear from you on this as I always say. Well, do I always say it? Maybe not. As I often say at the end of the episodes, Hearing from you brings me great joy. In fact, somebody reached out via Instagram a day or so ago and said that they could relate to something I had shared on a recent episode. And even though I was in one of those low points where communication felt tough, I really was so excited to hear from this person that I spent, uphold some energy, I found some energy to respond to this person quickly because I I just wanted to honor and respect that they took the time to write me after listening to an episode. So clearly, you know more about me and how my brain works. And how I communicate. I try to be very transparent about all of that so that you never feel unimportant. When you email me, direct message me, however you find a way to communicate with me, wow, is that valuable. And as I'm working towards mentioning towards the end of every episode, I would love to have you and beyond measure and get to know you more, is just becoming a bigger and bigger part of my life and a great sense of joy because that works so well with my communication style. We meet once a week through Zoom right now, we have this very fluid, open, accepting, loving communication conversation with each other. Everybody is accepted as they are, can show up in the conversations however they feel best. So if they just want to be silent and observe, that is completely acceptable. But what I have learned through doing two years of Beyond Measure calls almost every single week for two years, I've seen people unfold and open up in such beautiful, surprising ways. In fact, a great example was yesterday. There are a few people that show up to every single call. And I, they are just, I hold that in such deep gratitude and respect because I respect people's time so much that for someone to be that consistent is amazing. But they're showing up for themselves, not for me. And that's something I've seen shift a lot. When I first started Beyond Measure, I think a lot of people would show up to the calls because they felt like they were doing it for me. But I've always wanted it to be about for us and for them first and me secondary, but or the group secondary, I should say, right? So anyways, when people show up that consistently, I'm just blown away because it's rare, that anybody does that so consistently, but there are people that have been showing up to almost every single call every week for at least a year. It's amazing. Anyway, so there's the core group that I can always count on to be there, and you can too if you ever decide to join. And yesterday, two people who've only showed up to a few calls each came to that. So they were kind of in that category of like, quote, new people, And not to make them feel like outsiders, but just to honor the fact that they didn't have the experience of this group dynamic. So I really felt like I was trying to draw them in, but also like give them permission to observe a bit and find their comfort level. And wow, it's just been so beautiful for me to observe like how people will step into that space and watching them kind of unfold and open up And that's just been the greatest joy beyond measure in general, because these people that come to most calls, they were once brand new to the group and to see the journey that they've been on and just notice the nuances, the times where I felt like they were a bit insecure and now have developed into more confidence and security. They used to say things about themselves that were maybe a bit diminishing. And now they don't say that anymore, that they just talk with more confidence. And it's just like, it lights me up. This is why Beyond Measure has just been an extraordinary experience. It's also a place where I feel like we can have a circular group conversation, which I yearn for when I do this podcast, as nice as it feels to share and not be have somebody interrupt or have someone pause me to be able to just like, let it all out for an hour. Like that's very cathartic, I guess, for me. But there's also part of me that feels a little strange about it because I'm sharing things that you probably have opinions on and feelings on. And maybe it's different. Maybe you could add things that I haven't considered before, you know, that is deeply valuable. That's why I encourage you to reach out. But to be honest, I would so much rather have a real-time conversation with you and to introduce you to other people. And yesterday's call is another example, was centered around that feelings wheel that I mentioned. And the the topic was just self-care in general. And it was so amazing to watch each person took turns sharing something, having the opportunity to share some feelings, some observations and not only was that helpful for the person sharing but each person in the group was learning along the way and on zoom you know there one person can talk and in our group everybody else mutes themselves just to hold space and really listen as each person shares the chat though the text chat was people were sharing throughout so as one person was talking other members of the group were typing little responses and you could see and feel how as one person shared, other people were learning. As one person shared, other people were realizing things about their own feelings and opening up and reassuring other. And it was just like this beautiful, like harmonious experience. It was one of the best calls I think we've ever had in these past two years. And it just made me feel like, oh, I wish that Anyone interested in Beyond Measure could have witnessed that because I feel like until you get into that space, you don't really know what it's like. But it's becoming this mission of mine to open it up and, and invite everybody in. Although I will pause with the word everybody, something maybe for a different episode. I've been reading this book called, I think it's called The Art of Gathering. And in it, there's a section about how, as a the host of a gathering or the leader of a gathering, it's really important to be mindful of not just inclusivity but who are you not letting into your space as a way of being protective of it, and it's really shifted the way I've thought about beyond measure because. Inclusivity is deeply important to me. I really want everybody ideally to feel included. But the truth is that to create psychological safety, you can't necessarily have everybody in there unless everybody is on the same page. And as I've mentioned throughout this episode, it's kind of impossible for everyone to be on the same page. So, in Beyond Measure, there's an agreement for psychological safety and there's an emphasis on consistency. And accountability and group support and lack of judgment. And luckily, over the past two years, I've never had anyone in there that has disrupted that. And I think it's because you have to take a few steps. Like, you can't just like jump in like you could a Facebook group or Reddit or wherever else. Like, you just create an account, you start sharing. Like, in Beyond Measure, it's very intimate. So it hasn't had the experience of trolls yet i guess like energetically maybe there's some boundaries there that people have felt and beyond measure came out of my bad experiences on platforms like youtube where i've just received really rude comments from people and that disrupted my own psychological safety i've experienced that even on instagram like negative comments, rude, direct messages, sometimes even emails I've received from time to time, sometimes from the same person over and over again. I've had a few people over the course of many years consistently write me messages, which is so interesting, (laughs) especially on YouTube. There was, I think one person I I never really knew because they hid their identity from me. You could tell they, they didn't, they almost like, from my perception, seemed to have shame around what they were saying. So they wouldn't share their identity, but they would share really critical things about me frequently. But yet they were watching like every single video of mine. And I think that person might've followed me into, this might get uncomfortable. I don't know if they listened to the show, but <laughs> when I upload videos to YouTube, Within like a very short span of time, maybe like an hour, there'll be a thumbs down. And I'm thinking, based on the amount of views my videos get, it's very likely that this person subscribed to my YouTube channel. And as soon as they see a new video, they give a thumbs down. This used to happen on my Eco Vegan Gal accounts, and I've always been simultaneously amused and saddened by that. So, anyways, Luckily, Beyond Measure has not experienced that, although maybe this comes across as a challenge to a troll. But trust me, that person will be out so quickly because what's different about Beyond Measure is it's not about me. Beyond Measure is about the group. And I feel like a mama bear protecting her cubs. Like You do not mess with other people. I take it very seriously in protecting other people. So I will say that to you as well, is that Beyond Measure has developed into a protected, safe space. And if it's ever unsafe, it'll be the shortest span of time because I will jump right in there and take action. I have so much confidence in protecting other people. I feel like Beyond Measure is my family. So. If you have been wanting to connect with me, but also looking for a place that does have the psychological safety and encourages the freedom of expression, even if you feel like an outsider, even if you feel socially awkward, I get it. I have identified as an introvert who has a lot of anxiety in social situations. But those people, there are several of them in Beyond Measure who identify as that too. They have found psychological safety there. And actually those people tend to be the ones that show up the most frequently. So my hope is that people can find their people through Beyond Measure. Anyways, that is my Beyond Measure share for today. My discussion about fluidity and what communication feels like And it's a big opportunity for us to remember that humanity is complex. We are all in our own little bubbles of experiences. We're all learning and hopefully all doing our best. And I hope that this episode brought you some comfort or some perspective, whatever it is. And I hope that you reach out to me if you would like to. I am there to listen and take it in and get to know you and hear you. I appreciate you. I'll be back with another episode with a guest in just a few days and another episode of me sharing something like this next week. Bye for now. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high performance resources to help you thrive, go to WellEvator.com. That's W E L L E V A T R.com.